So if you'd like to turn to page 1135 in the Bibles in front of you. And we're going to be reading Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. So Romans 8, 18 to 25 on page 1135. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Great. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Well, let's begin uh, by praying to God together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. And we pray that you would speak to each one of us, whatever we've been going through this week or at the moment, uh, however we are feeling, whether we are uh, delighting or whether we are really struggling with things. Lord, please, would you speak to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, Do keep open Romans chapter 8, page 1135. We're going to be uh, looking at that uh, this morning. And um, I want to start with a question. How often do you find yourself moaning about things? A few giggles. How often do you find yourself moaning? Um, I don't know about you, but I, I find, I was thinking about this over the last week, and I find myself moaning about things all the time. I don't know quite how I must sound to my family and, and friends, but, but I find myself moaning quite a lot. Maybe it's, it's often about small things, isn't it? You go for breakfast and you've run out of your cereal. Oh, empty box. Or there's no milk in the fridge. Or little things like that. Or, or you're wanting to get something done in the day, but you look for your calendar and there just isn't the time to do it. And it's just that little, oh, just a little moan. Or little, little things said. We find ourselves moaning all the time, I think, about all sorts of little things. I wonder how much that bothers you about yourself. Or maybe a better question was, if you notice someone else who you know moans a lot, maybe in the home, maybe at school, maybe at work, I wonder how much their moaning bothers you. We always know those people who seem to moan a lot. Whether that's about small, seemingly inconsequential things, or whether it's about the really big stuff. Because Paul is going to show us that actually moaning shouldn't be the response of a Christian to to little things, but certainly to big things, to suffering, to pain, to anguish. Paul's going to show us a different type of way that isn't moaning. Because moaning is helpless. You moan because you think that there's going to be no change in the future. Whereas Paul uses another word. Paul uses groaning, not moaning, but groaning. You see, moaning is helpless, but groaning 
is hopeful. And it's part of what it means to live as a Christian. So we're going to think about groaning today. And in particular, what Paul is going to show us is that we're not just groaning for some kind of uh, wishy-washy, maybe it will happen future. We are groaning for a day that certainly will happen when the Lord Jesus returns. So we're thinking about that this morning. We're thinking about groaning for the day. And we're going to ask three questions as we we look at this passage. We're going to think about what is it? What does this groaning look like? Who does it? And how might we do it? So firstly then, what is this groaning? Where Paul tells us, we look down at the passage, that godly groaning is being future focused when we suffer. When we suffer, it's really tempting to just to be focused on the things that are happening in that moment, in that time. But Paul says godly groaning is being future focused. That doesn't mean that we're denying suffering or just trying to hold it all together and pretending that bad things aren't happening. But rather it is focusing on the future as we suffer in the present. And allowing what we know will happen to help us today as we suffer. So what what is this groaning? Well, have a look down with me at verse 18. Uh, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So firstly, Paul says, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. So Paul says, beginning of verse 18, This is what we need to do. We need to groan when we face suffering. We need to be aware of it. Whether that is big suffering, whether that is going through a divorce, whether that is illness, whether that is the loss of a loved one, or it's little suffering. It's just little behaviors that people do maybe in the workplace or at school that just make life that much harder. Actually, we acknowledge that suffering. Paul doesn't say, forget about your present suffering. It doesn't matter. But he wants us to weigh up the two and to see which one is the thing that we should be focusing on. So whether that's big or little suffering, we groan. And he says in doing this, it shifts our focus from present pain to future glory. He doesn't just say to heaven, but he says to future glory. That is, in sharing in Jesus' glory, in sharing in his 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 love in his intimacy of being with him in heaven and in the new creation. Glory is a funny word in the Bible, and it, and it kind of means the same thing as weight. So if you see a, a whole load of gold and it's, it's really heavy, it's glorious. And that's the kind of picture that, that Paul paints of what it means to be with Jesus. It is a glorious thing that we look forward to. And as what we have already heard, Karen talking about her hope for future, for for being with Christ one day when we die, when Jesus returns, whichever comes first, we await that glory that will happen. When we go to be transformed, to be like Jesus. That is, we we all suffer pain, we all suffer regret and, and sin and frailty. But Paul is saying there is a glorious day coming when those things will no longer affect us. We will no longer be affected by pain, by sin, by frailty, by regrets. This is a wonderful, a glorious future that we are to focus on when we suffer. And that's what godly groaning looks like. 
But practically, Paul, in that bit in verse 18, he wants us to compare the two. He's not saying pretend suffering doesn't exist. He's not just saying be so sort of focused on the future that you don't pay any attention to what's happening today. But he says compare the two and see how your future hope of glory far outweighs whatever suffering you are facing. Maybe in the past, maybe today, maybe in the future. But groaning is not moaning. Groaning is, is hopeful. God listens to groaning. Um, we were thinking on Wednesday night about um, what God was doing in the book of Exodus, the second book in, in the Old Testament. Uh, and in that you see God's people crying out, or the word that's used, God's people groaning to God because they are in slavery. And in Exodus 6 verse 5, we're told that God says he hears the groaning of his people. They are crying out. They are in slavery. God, rescue us, please. And God heard their groaning and he sent Moses to rescue them. That's groaning. But also in Exodus 10 chapters later, we see the opposite of groaning. We see moaning. It's incredible. God's people have been rescued out of Egypt. They've been led out of the Red Sea all through the wilderness. God is providing for them. And what do God's people do? They start moaning. Because they feel hopeless. They said, okay, yes, we asked for you to rescue us out of Egypt, but now I wish we were back there. Oh, for the, for the, for the onions of Egypt. There must have been amazing onions for, for, for all the fruit and vegetable. And yes, we were slaves and being killed and all of that. But oh, to be back in Egypt. They were moaning to God. But not only was that just a really impolite thing to do. Actually, moaning is a spiritual issue. Moaning is a spiritual issue. Because just like groaning is hopeful, moaning is hopeless. We moan because we feel there is no hope. There is nothing to look forward to. There is nothing to believe in, so we moan. Moaning is a spiritual issue. It was for God's people in in Exodus chapter 16, and it is for us today. Moaning is connected to disbelief. We don't believe God. We don't believe that we can hope in what he has for us, so we moan. You see, godly groaning is the opposite. Godly groaning is being future-focused when we suffer. That's what it is. Well, who does it? Who does this groaning? Well, in this passage and into next week, we're going to see three different groups or, or people who groan. And we're going to look at the first two today. So we are told, Paul tells us that firstly, the creation groans, that is, the whole universe, everything that God has made, there was a groaning. We'll think about what that means in just a sec. And we, Christians, followers of Jesus, we groan. We don't moan, we groan. So who does it? Creation groans and we as Christians groan. And next week, we'll get on to the passage where it talks about how God groans. So, so do come back for, for part two as we think about how God groans. But firstly then, creation groans. Have a look at verse 22. Paul writes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Now, notice what Paul says, how how he talks about groaning there. He's saying that creation is groaning like childbirth. You see, childbirth isn't pointless pain. As as horrendous and, and horrible and painful as it is, it has a purpose, isn't there? There is a hope at the end of childbirth 
that you will be there with your child. And so creation is groaning with a purpose. Paul is saying that this isn't a new thing, but this has been happening since what we call the fall. Since Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve decided to turn their back on God and sin entered into the world. You could almost think of it that that when Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie about God, they are in some sense moaning. Because God has given them this whole wonderful creation and this one command not to eat from this one tree. Yet they believe the lie of the devil and they have that heart of moaning. There isn't hope. God's holding out something good from me. So I'm going to take things into my own hands. That is what moaning is. And that's what Adam and Eve are doing in the garden. And the consequence is not only did humanity experience a broken relationship with one another and with God, but actually the whole of creation bore the brunt of their decision. Humanity were, humankind were meant to be stewards of God's good creation. But by turning against the creator of that creation, well then the creation began to break. Have a look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So the brokenness that we see in creation Earthquakes, famines, disasters, pain, illness, death is connected to the fact that we have turned away from the creator, God. The brokenness in the creation, the the groaning in creation is connected to our original moaning. And because of that, the creation suffers agony. One of the curses, it's interesting if you look at Genesis 3, God doesn't actually curse Adam and Eve. He curses the serpent. He doesn't curse Adam and Eve. But he does say that as a result of their sin, the whole of creation will be cursed. There will be thistles and thorns. Harvest will be hard. And life will eventually end in death. The land experiences a curse. There is a a groaning because of humanity's sin. Now, it is still a good creation. In the beginning, when God made everything, he said, this is good. It is still a good creation, but it is broken. All the words that he uses in verse 20, it's subjected to frustration. Things aren't the way they were originally supposed to be. And we see that most clearly in the fact that death reigns. Death happens. And death was not a part of God's good creation in the beginning. But it is here because of that decision to turn away from God. But it isn't hopeless. It's not moaning. It's groaning. It is purposeful. Have a look at verse 21. Just before it says, in hope. That's why it was subjected to this. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So just like creation reaps the the, the consequences of humanity's decision to turn away from God, so does humanity's restoration or the people being saved and brought into God's family mean that actually the creation will be renewed. And all of that is God's work in, in saving people like you and me, but one day bringing creation back to its very good existence. 
there will be a day of redemption, which is why we're not just groaning, kind of hoping something might get better in the future. We are groaning for a day. We are hoping for a day, this day of redemption, where Jesus comes to complete all the work he's begun in us that fix his whole creation, this new creation living when Jesus returns. So creation is groaning by, by looking to us. It looks to us to see whether we are being transformed, whether Jesus is coming back soon. So creation groans. But secondly, we groan as well. And Paul tells us why in verse 23. He says, not only does creation groan, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You see, groaning for a human is a distinctively Christian thing because it's saying here that it's the people who have the Spirit. That is, people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. When you put your trust in Jesus, God has promised to send his Holy Spirit into you. It is a deposit that one day when Jesus returns, he will bring you to be in his new heavenly kingdom, his new creation. And because of that, we groan as we wait for his return. What does that look like, though, in in day-to-day life? What does it mean to groan? Does it mean that we have to go around and go, ah, groaning, groaning? It's not that, is it? This is the fact that it starts at something deeper. That actually we refuse to be satisfied for accepting life in a fallen world. We're not just going to shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, That's how it is. Let's just make the most of it. There's actually a a deep-seated thing inside Christians that says, no, this isn't the way it should be. When we see pain, when we see suffering, when we see injustice, we are saying, actually, no, this isn't the way it should be. There is a day coming when it will be changed, when there won't be injustice, when there won't be suffering or pain or sin. When there will be a day where children won't die of cancer. That there will be a day when marriages won't break up. That there will be a day when Christians in colleges won't be persecuted or around the world persecuted to the point of death. We groan as we wait for Jesus' return. And as we see, the Spirit helps us to do that. We're going to think more about that next week. How God helps us to groan and how he, he is groaning through us. Do come back as we think more about that next Sunday morning. This is a... This groaning in us looks like a a patient dissatisfaction that we are apart from Jesus. We are hopeful. We know it will happen. But at the same time, as Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's not a terrible thing when a Christian dies. Sometimes there there are very sad circumstances around it. But we know that it is better. Because they go to be with Christ and experience life in his glory. So that's what it is. That who does, that's who does it. Well, thirdly, how can we do it? What needs to happen so that we can change from being moaners to groaners? I, I want us all, myself included, to be less moany as a result of this and more groany, looking forward to Jesus' return. Well, we do it through patiently hoping for what we don't already have. We've seen that, haven't we? Have a look at the beginning of verse 24. 
It says, for in this hope we were saved. That is, in this hope of Jesus' return, that Jesus died, that he was raised, that he went, as we've said in the creed, he went back to heaven and that he is coming back one day. That hope, that good news, by trusting in that, we were saved. It's not we will be saved. We were saved. It's something that has happened. We were saved by trusting in this. And because of that, Paul says that we've been adopted. I think adoption is a wonderful thing. Being adopted, brought into a family. Being brought into a new, loving home. And God's adoption is all the more greater than any earthly adoption that we see. But while we have been adopted, Christians have been adopted, they are in a new family. And we look around now and we see members of our new family. How exciting. But also we know that our parent hasn't yet come to collect us. That is the day that we are looking for. Yes, we are adopted, but we're waiting for the completion of that adoption. When Jesus comes to return for his people. We need to wait patiently for this though. That's what godly groaning looks like. We wait patiently for our, our adoption. Paul says this in, in verse 24. He says, we've been, we've been hoping for this, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Obviously the answer is no one. We don't hope for, for things that we already have. We need to realize that we don't have it yet. We are not in heaven yet. Life is not perfect yet. Christians suffer. Christians get sick. Our loved ones go through all sorts of difficulties. We are not in heaven yet, but we will be one day. We wait patiently. That's what he says in verse 25. But he says, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Godly groaning is patient waiting for Jesus' return. Because he will come back for us. He is preparing a place for us. But just at the right time, he will come. And we can hope in that. So we need to change from being moaners to groaners. But it's very easy for me to stand here and just tell you and tell myself that we need to change our behavior and just do things differently. It's been my experience that actually that doesn't really change people just saying that you need to do it. There needs to be a deeper engagement to change us from moaners into groaners. I want us then just to think about something that's going to be powerful enough to do that in our lives. Well, let's finish by thinking about the cross. The Son of God came to die for moaners like you and me. And think about his death as Jesus died on the cross. Jesus had never moaned. Yes, he groaned. Yes, he he found things hard. He wanted to be obedient to his father's will, but he didn't moan. He wasn't hopeless. Even at the cross, not once did he complain to God in a way where he didn't trust him. But look at him. He is being treated like one who moans, one who does not believe that God is good and that God's promises will eventually be fulfilled. And what is he doing at the cross? 
He is groaning for us. Groaning for moaners like you and me. He loves you that much to suffer, to, to have to groan like none of us will ever know. None of us will ever know the level of groaning that Jesus went through at the cross. But he did it for us. So that moaners like you and me don't have to experience that. And instead can look forward to his glory. That is the kind of thing that changes us from moaners into groaners. That means that when we suffer, whether it's little niggly things that we experience during the week, or it's that really big stuff that we are going through, we don't need to moan. We groan. We groan knowing that a better day is coming. We compare whatever stuff we are going through, even if it is really hard stuff, but we compare that with the future of experiencing glory with God, and that wins out. Because this suffering stuff only lasts for a little while, but that will go on forever. And knowing that Jesus is there at the cross, groaning for us, makes that a certainty. So we look forward to that day when he returns. And that groaning, that hope, will not be necessary anymore. Because we will be with him in his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're sorry that we so often moan about things, uh, that we complain out loud, under our breath, on social media, however we do it. Lord, help us to see what Jesus has accomplished for us. Help us to groan in a godly way, whereby we look forward to his return. And we look forward to experiencing glory with him forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.